In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Forgiveness is actually relieving a debt. And if you don't name the debt, if you don't know the amount of debt, you cannot actually properly clear it or properly forgive it. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host of the show. And as we enter the new year here, uh, over 500 episodes. Do you know the number one most engaged topic on our memes, in our forum, in our podcast? It is the topic of how do you deal with lust, specifically pornography. You know, you may know this, guys, but every board member and full-time staff is required to have covenant eyes on all of their smart devices. That's so that we can be protected from the temptations of pornography. That's just a click away, guys. So this is a, a huge topic. I'm really excited about today's guest. He wrote a book that's going to come out in February called The Last Relapse. You are going to really enjoy today's podcast. But before we get into that, I want to let you know, guys, make sure you send us the stories of how God has used our ministry, uh, whether it be our, our social media stuff or our podcast or our forum to impact your life. You are the hero in your story, guys. And we want to highlight you guys as the hero of men in the arena. So send us those stories. And when you do, if we acknowledge it publicly, we'll send you some swag. All you got to do is hit us up at our with your email address or your mailing address, and we will uh, take care of you guys. So today, guys, I want to move into our man law before I bring our guest on the show. And guys, these man laws are just designed to be funny or quirky. And if you send us a man law, we recognize that man law on the podcast or on a tweet. We will send you some swag. Again, all you got to do is send us your address. Today's man law is something I made up and or heard it years ago, and I just call this the toasting rule. Guys, when you are at a wedding or wherever you are and you're toasting your bros, you never touch the top of the bottle, whether it be the uh, the lip of the bottle or the, the rim of the glass. You never toast lip to lip, rim to rim, because guys, listen, that's like kissing another dude, and that's just not okay. So that's our man law for today. Always toast on the bottom of the glass when you're toasting one of your bros. So guys, I hope that helps you guys. 
Hey, I'm really excited, guys, to bring our guest on today, Sathya Sam. He's 31 years old. He lives in Toronto, Canada with his beautiful wife of two and a half years, Shaloma. They spend their winters down in Jamaica because that's where they're from. So he is calling in from Jamaica. So I'm super excited about that. That's our first ever Jamaican podcast guest. And so Sathya is not a Jamaican guy. He's a Canadian guy, but they're living down there just for the winter. Uh, Sathya Sam helps men live with confidence and integrity, which is one of our primary values at Men in the Arena. As a recovering addict himself, Sathya is the creator of Deep Clean, a research-based and Bible-backed system for overcoming porn addiction. Deep Clean has helped everyone from college students to medical doctors regain control of their lives and walk in greater levels of freedom. And guys, this is so important for today because, you know, I believe that 99% of men struggle with this sin called lust and the other 1% are liars. So guys, <laughs> this this book he wrote, The Last Relapse, is going to be released on February 2nd of 2022. And the focus of this book is to help men overcome porn addiction. And I've had the privilege of reading this book already. I'm really excited to have Sathya on to talk about it. So Sathya, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Jim. I uh, really look up to you guys, admire what you're doing, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, what you're doing is a, a deep need of men, and it's one of the greatest struggles that we see men having in this day and age. And man, we need help, and and we are not equipped to offer that help with men in the arena. That's why we bring guys on like you, so we can just shove guys your way and say, <laughs> hey, man, if you want to get clean, go to Doug Weiss. If you want to get deep clean, go to Cynthia <laughs> Sam. So anyway, <laughs> uh, fun stuff, man. Hey, can you do us a favor? In the book, you lay this out a little bit more, but can you share us Share with us your story, uh, things you enjoy, hobbies, or what motivated you to write this book and develop Deep Clean, whatever you think is appropriate for our guys listening today. Yeah, 100%. So I'll, I'll start by saying I'm a fourth generation pastor. That's an important detail of my story. Grew up in a pastor's home. My parents sent us to Christian school. So everything was set up in my life to make pretty good decisions and be a pretty good kid. And honestly, I was. I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school. Wow. I was 11 years old. That was in 2001, Jim. Like this is before the internet's even become mainstream, let alone smartphones and all that stuff. And it was still happening yep. even back then. And, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners know that the first time is rarely the last. And uh, that was the case for me. And, and it was my struggle. And then the lack of resources when I really wanted to get free, that made me realize like that this is a huge issue and not enough people are doing something about it. So I kind of took that responsibility on my shoulders. I had to figure it out for myself first, obviously. Um, but once I did reach that place, then it was, it was my mission to help other guys. And um, I think it's worth noting as well, I, the, the worst part of my struggle was I had done ministry school. I had started pastoring. I was pastoring in a rural community, a little farming town called Drayton, a little bit under 2,000 people. And, um, and that was where I, I had relapsed again. And it was like, no, 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 no. Like, I've just started my full-time ministry. I can't be doing this. I can't have this in my life. And that was, um, we, we can get into it a little bit later, but that's what actually catalyzed uh, a huge part of my recovery process now, which is really learning to heal from the heart. Uh, forgiveness is a huge part of it. You read my book, you know, I emphasize that quite a bit. And, um, and that's where I got to live out some of that stuff. It was while I was pastoring. Um, I, I know you said a lot of your guys are in rural areas and I've, um, I did a lot of my pastoring in that, that kind of community as well. And, um, and yeah, and now it's kind of brought me where I am today, helping guys get free using deep clean. Well, I think it's also important to your story that your last episode with pornography actually was way back in 2016. So it's not like yeah. 
you're writing this and and you're one week clean. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's important. When I was reading the book, I was like, oh, it's been five, six years now yes. that he's been clean. And so I think that's important. So I'm going to read a quote from your book, uh, a list of statistics, and I'm just going to read it and I'm going to let it hang in the air. And I just want you to speak about this uh, paragraph I'm going to read. Okay. This is from your book, quote, porn addiction is an epidemic. In the three seconds it takes you to read this sentence, the porn industry has made over $1,000. Its annual revenue likely exceeds the NBA, NFL, and Netflix. Porn viewership has also been shown to increase the likelihood of infidelity. A study reported by Science in 2016 showed that divorce rates double when pornography is involved. The average age of exposure to pornography is somewhere between 11 and and 13. According to a 2008 study, by the time most boys turn 18, there is a 93% chance they have viewed porn at least once. For girls, it is 62% chance. End of quote. I would say those are low statistics, but what do you have to say to that paragraph? Yeah, we did err on the conservative side. Um, I don't believe in having to inflate the stats. I think they speak for themselves. I think it just tells us that porn really is a, a rampant issue. And it's funny because what other issue do you know, Jim, that, that generates this much revenue, is impacting this many people that nobody's talking about? Like generally issues this widespread are main headlines, they're clickbait, you see them everywhere. Uh, but the, the struggle with porn is, is low, it's kept under wraps. And for me, I presented those stats in the books to let people know, number one, like let's wake up a little bit. This is a huge issue. But number two, if you are struggling, you're not alone. And, you know, as somebody who was addicted for 15 years, I know that message needs to be louder now than ever before. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a major issue and it's all the more reason for me to do the work I'm doing. I know I know people are struggling out there and need the help. Well, when I read that quote, uh, Sathya, I thought, you know what? Pornography has destroyed more lives. You call it an epidemic, but I'm just going to say I think it's a pandemic and I think it's worse than the pandemic we're masking up about right now. And so oh, yeah. this is a massive massive problem. So tell us about the title of your book and why you went the route you went with the book. So you, so you, you kind of point guys uh, from the book to your program. So tell us about that book title and, and the, how you, the process that you use to bring guys to a place of complete sobriety. Yeah. I mean, basically when I started to, to help guys, or I, I guess the right way to say is I wanted to help guys. I didn't really know if I actually could, but I, I kind of had a framework in mind, my, my educational backgrounds in the sciences, and then I went to ministry school. So I had this idea of sort of merging the science and the spiritual together to come up with a solution for, for Christian guys, especially. And when I started testing it out a little bit, um, I saw that guys were connecting with it. They were, they were having an inside out transformation, which as we know, like that's the whole essence of the gospel is that you're transformed from yeah. the inside out. So I love that. I love seeing that guys' hearts were being changed. And as their hearts were being changed, so too was their behavior. So we started to grow it up. We build out a course, programs, everything else. But, you know, it, it does cost money to work with me. And I, I, there was a part of me that didn't love that. Like, I obviously have to make money to put food on the table and provide. But I did want to find a way to make everything we're teaching in our programs accessible on a wider scale. And that's what really inspired me to write the book. So I, I honestly took a lot of our teachings. Uh, we took a lot of our key concepts and tools and we put them in the book so that people wouldn't have to pay all that money to work with us. They could just go and get it for themselves and they could apply it in their own way as well if they wanted to. So that's, that's what inspired it. I specifically called it the last relapse because I think, um, number one, it's like sometimes we, we present this message like, 
I'm Sathya and I struggled for 15 years and now I've been clean for six years and just do these three steps and you're good to go. And it, mm. it rarely happens that way. Like even in my own recovery journey, I, I started to expand the gap between relapses, but it really did take me time before I had my last relapse. And um, that, that feels like a dirty word even to call it a relapse, but I, I think it's actually one of the best learning tools a guy has in his recovery journey because you start to identify why you're actually engaging in the material. Mm -hmm. So we teach our guys a lot about that to leverage your relapses and really uh, make it part of the recovery process. But of course, they can't go on forever. The goal is that you get to that point where you do have your final relapse and you move on. And so we try to just come at it from a different angle, um, even to just, just to give a little bit of positivity to the concept of a relapse um, or to at least de-shame it and then to inspire guys to have their final relapse so that they can be free long term. So what's the vehicle you use beyond the book? So you're in Jamaica three mm -hmm. months out of the year. You're in Toronto the rest. It, it, do you do guys go to a clinic? Do they ha they work with you uh, online? Uh, is it a small group setting? Do they, is it one-on-one? -on -one? How does this happen? Yeah, most of our work is – well, all of our work really is online. So like I said, we built out a course, and then we do weekly group coaching, and we have an online community as well. Uh, you and I both know the power of community in general, but with men, that power is amplified significantly. Guys need the community. And it's why I think your listeners should be joining your virtual small groups. They should be part of what you guys are doing in the communal aspect because that is so vital for a guy's success in life, whether it's in his marriage, in his family, in his spiritual life, or certainly in getting free of pornography. So, Sathya, what, what community do you have? Is this a, Do the guys... Uh, pay to join the community or do you have a, a free virtual community so if a guy's listening right now he goes you know what i'm interested in this what de yeah. describe your virtual community yeah so uh we're, we're working on a free virtual community but right now everything's just packaged within the program so you get gotcha. the course we do weekly group coaching calls over zoom and then we have a uh, private uh, facebook group as well okay cool 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 so here's a quote from your book that talks about the why of the book it says this book is about how to be healthy successful and a godly man a, then you said this, a foreign concept in the 21st century. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I could not agree with you more. <laughs> Being a godly man, you know, our target audience, the guys listening right now are majority Christian. Yeah. But I'm not so sure that godly. And so there's this, there's this concept out there today that I can, you know, go get hammered with my buddies. I can live with my girlfriend before marriage. I can have sex outside of wedlock. And I'm still can be a Christian. And so when you said a foreign con to hear a, a millennial guy say that, I'm like, I love this guy because <laughs> you're speaking to the guys that are single and living with their girlfriends, right? I'm I'm speaking to guys that are, you know, older, right? And their kids are leaving the house. So yeah. when I hear that quote, I love that. A foreign concept in the 21st century. Do you want to embellish? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's very strange times we live in because for some reason, people are, are trying to put a lot of the godly principles and the precepts that are clearly laid out in the Bible, they're trying to put it in this gray area where it's like, well, you know, was, was that really a literal thing? Or like, that, was, that made sense back then, but does it really make sense now? Like, we've had a lot of this postmodern thinking sort of infect our doctrine and as a result, like our lifestyles. And um, I'm really sick and tired of it because it's actually the seedbed for a lot of misbehavior and a lot of the problems people are experiencing in their lives. Like people can't figure out why when you shack up with your significant other, it's a problem. And then they wonder why the divorce rates are so high and why all these affairs are happening and why people can't keep it in their pants. So like we're, <laughs> we're kind of, we're sowing into our own problem and then we're blaming the harvesters, you know, and it, it just doesn't make any sense. So for me, I'm big on that. That's why integrity is a huge part of our messaging. 
because we want to we want to try to restore the essence of integrity because um, I think cultures try to make it this subjective thing like yeah you do you like how often do we hear people say that now you do you man like if that's hey if that's your thing that's awesome um, and there's there is a degree of like personal expression that of course we all know is true God's made all of us unique but it does not negate the principles and the precepts that scripture teach us for a healthy successful and certainly a godly life yeah I just had a guy tell me that the other day you do you and about a month ago I had a person say oh that's your truth I'm like time out yeah <laughs> there's no such thing as your truth no that does not exist all that exists is the truth and this is really interesting to me i'm going to kind of go on a rant here a little bit what i what i don't understand is how you know one of our primary roles as a christian man is to protect yeah right protect and preside over our family that is a huge deal what i don't understand is how a christian man can take a woman he's supposed to protect all of his life, but before marriage, he brings her to the house, his house. He makes love with her out of wed got lock. And then he brings her to church and parades her around yeah. as this floozy that he's sleeping with. He's getting all these friends with benefits with, but, but yet God has called him to protect her. Yet the very act of sex outside of marriage and cohabitation is not protecting her. I don't understand what the disconnect is. So I appreciate guys like you, who are saying, hey, we're going to stand on biblical truth. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and you know, it's interesting. Your book doesn't address a lot of uh, spiritual stuff until the end of the book. And that's strategic on your part. And guys can read about that. But in the beginning of the book, you talk about something called a principal stack. And you do attach Bible verses to each one of these, these uh, five items in the principal stack. So can you share with our listeners what a principal stack is and why you... I know this was strategic. Why you put it right in the beginning of the book? I think a lot of people today are not living by principles. In fact, that statement you said, like your truth, that is sort of the epitome. It's that like we go based on what feels right, um, yeah. what kind of conforms to society. So for me, I, I think the only way you really live a healthy and a fruitful life is living by principles. And, mm -hmm. and because principles are things you can trust in high, high seasons, low seasons, uh, whether you're feeling like it or not. So I just, for me, like the guys I work with, I want them to be guys who live by principles. It's not meant to be this legalistic kind of regimented thing. Uh, there's certainly a degree of that, but it, it really is about finding the principles. And we found there's really five key principles that allow guys to uh, experience the most fruit in their life through our program. Uh, but, but certainly whether it's getting free of porn or elsewhere, these five principles are, are all really effective. So I don't, do, do you want to go through them, Jim? Well, I, I do. We're going to go through each one, but I want to stop because okay. you inspired a thought in my head. Yes. Years ago, a guy named Josh McDowell wrote a book called children don't know right from wrong or right from wrong. Uh, we just had his son on the show about a year ago, but in that book, he talked about three things that were very important to parenting. First is the precept. You got to mm. drop the law, baby. Drop the law, the precept. <laughs> yeah. The second is the principle. So, you know, don't have, uh, don't look at pornography, you know, uh, adultery, pornography, lust is a sin, right? So there's the precept. Why the principle? Because God calls you to be a holy life so that you can live in freedom. Okay, there's the principle. And the last thing is the personhood, which is if I don't do this, it hinders my relationship with, with Jesus. And so, so McDowell did this. So when I hear the word principles, I resonate with that. I love yeah. that. So I would like to, and then, so, so this stacking principle, can you explain that again? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, the best uh, picture I can give for your listeners is Lego. Think of it like five <laughs> pieces of Lego. And you're putting one, one brick upon the next. Yep. And the goal of the principal stack is really that one builds on the other. And it, it's similar to Lego. Like you can kind of do your own thing if you want. But if you're really going for a particular outcome, a desired result, you just follow the instructions and you build it in the order they tell you to. And the principal stack is the same way. You can sort of pick and choose different one of them, if you, uh, different principles rather, if you want. But if you're really wanting to get free of porn long-term, the best thing is to live these principles step-by-step step, just the way we lay it out in the book. Okay, so, so then based on what you're telling me, principle one is the foundational principle. Yeah, that's right. That's where it all starts. Okay, I just want to make sure our listeners, so, so I'm hearing a Lego stack, but it's a Lego stack that stacks up like a pyramid. That's how yeah, I'm seeing it, right? Exactly. So, exactly. so principle one is control. Yeah. And so in that, in that section, you talk about uh, macro versus micro behaviors in determining control. So can you walk us through uh, control and, and what that means and why that is foundational to healing? Oh, yeah. A lot of the mistakes that we make uh, in our personal relationships and even in our own lives are because we fail to clearly define what we can and cannot control. So the, the principle of control is that you are clearly identifying what is yours and what is not. For somebody who's struggling with pornography or masturbation, it's easy for, it'd be easy for me to blame the classmate who showed me that porn site when I was 11 years old in the uh, computer lab of my Christian school. It'd be easy to blame the external circumstances, the, the internet and all the other things. But the reality is I'm responsible for my decisions. And until that line is clearly defined, it's very easy to sort of deflect the responsibility elsewhere. So that's the, the premise of control. And we talk about macro and micro behaviors to give people an idea of just how you can practically start to define these lines and actually identify what you can and can't control. A macro behavior would be like driving your car. The micro behaviors would be putting on your seatbelt, turning the steering wheel, pushing the pedals and all of that. The same way that a macro behavior might be looking at pornography, but the micro behaviors might be that um, it's every it's late at night after you scroll on social media. It might be that it's um, after work to take the edge off after a stressful day. So it's, it's identifying some of the, the smaller components that are part of your life within your control that are ultimately leading to that behavior you're trying to change. So when we hear the phrase in the recovery world, halt, hungry, mm -hmm. angry, lonely, tired, those yeah. are like trigger, trigger moments. You would say those are micro behaviors. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The, that's really the, the good. That lead to it. That's really, really good. So the foundational component here, the first principle is control. And on, and on that control, we build up to the second one, which you've already hinted at, mm -hmm. which is responsibility and power. And I want to read a quote from your book. Again, guys, to be released February 2nd. So you can't, don't go to Amazon right now. It ain't there. So you're gonna have to <laughs> hold, hold on and wait till after Christmas when you actually have some money. So you said this in your book, any behavioral change usually starts with ma macro behavior. Again, we're kind of going back and forth here, eating yeah. better, quitting smoking, et cetera. These are overtaking behaviors or behavior patterns that are comprised of several smaller behaviors. Ma behavioral patterns are always comprised of a series of micro behaviors that eventually lead to macro behaviors. And then beyond that, we build this concept of taking responsibility and power for those. Can you explain that? So let's say a guy identifies, I watch porn. It's always on my phone. It's always late at night. It's always after some social media scrolling. 
if you stop there, you are in control as in you understand what's within your arena, but you're still irresponsible until you do something about it. Ah. The second, the second step is just, okay, now that I'm aware, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to put some rules around when I use my phone late at night. I'm going to remove social media from my phone. I mean, the, those solutions can be different depending on what you need. But responsibility is saying, th- like, this is no one else's problem. This is mine. And I'm actually going to do something about it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm actually going to take some action and act on the things that I'm now aware that I'm in control of. So I'm going to take action by taking responsibility. What about where does power come in? That freedom of choice? Yeah. Is that so- power? Yeah, they, they kind of go hand in hand. The, the more responsibility you take, the more powerful you become. Um, so a lot of people, if you, if you find yourself powerless in a situation, it's because you have not taken ownership of your part. But as soon as you realize what you're responsible for, you are now powerful to actually effect change. You're actually powerful enough to do something about it. And so we, we start here because, again, if you're blaming other things, if you're blaming things that are beyond your control for the issue, you have zero power. And if you have no power, then you can't bring any change. You can't bring any freedom. But as soon as you start to take responsibility, now you're actually a powerful person and you can do something about whatever problem it is that you're facing. So, Sathya, would you say that these five principles complement the 12 steps of, let's say, AA, or are these completely different? Well, there are, there are definitely some parallels. There are some parts of the 12-step program that I personally don't really agree with. Um, yeah. but, but certainly these parts we're talking about very much. So like that's, that's woven into the fabric of AA and their 12 step is you do have to take ownership, take responsibility, all that kind of stuff. Well, what I like about your principles is many times you'll see these principles spoken about, or this principle stack by people. And if you're doing this pyramid or this Lego analogy, guys can't climb to the next step. It's really hard to get there. Yours yeah. are really quite close together they're very closely connected so i i want control i want control that's my that's my principle one i want i've I've lost control and i want to take control i want to regain control principle two i need to take responsibility and do something about it yeah i mean hello instead of whining about it like a little baby i'm saying hey i i'm gonna own this take it i'm gonna take it i'm gonna acknowledge my sin and i'm gonna do something about it and as I do something about it, I get stronger. It's almost like lifting weights, right? Uh, if, as I begin to lift, I get stronger. It's a natural uh, fruit of taking responsibility. Yes, 100%. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to understand this, and I'm trying to get everybody to understand this. It's very clear, but in the, I, the, the guys haven't read the book. I've read the book. Yeah, so yeah. It's, <laughs> it's my role to kind of unpack this so guys go, I want to go get this book. So principle three, and this is the one I – Maybe I read through it too fast, but I have a couple questions about this. Principle Please. three is what you call freedom bookends. Yeah. And you wrote this, freedom is a choice. When you lack options, you lack freedom. See, I love that, by the way, because I think freedom is our ability to say no to something. And that's exactly mm. what you said. When yes. you lack options, you lack freedom. To gain freedom, you continued in any area of your life, mental, financial, relational, emotional, spiritual, you must increase the number of choices available to you. I think that is excellent. I really applaud that. So my only question here is I got lost on determining what the bookends are. What are these yes. freedom bookends? Yeah. Okay. So that, what, that statement you just made is sort of the, the basis of the bookends. 
But yes. there's, there's actually two very practical things to this. It's a why statement or a mission, and then it's a vision. It's the kind of life that you're building. Those are the bookends. The why statement is sort of what it's what we do everything out of. And every, every guy on planet Earth has a why statement. He just maybe hasn't taken the time to craft it. So we have guys, when they come through our program, do this. We, we want them to get really clear on what's the driving force here. And it's interesting because obviously, you know, some guys who come to me are in pretty bad situations. Their wife has left them. Uh, they lost their jobs, whatever it might be. And so initially when they start their why statement, it's like it's to win my wife back or it's to get my job back or whatever. But when they go through the exercise and we start to push them a little bit more, we find out actually the reason they really want to get free of pornography is to be a man of integrity. It's to step further into the calling God's place on their life. Most of it is actually quite personal and quite specific to, to who they are. But they've, again, they've just, they've been pinning it elsewhere. So that's why we do the why statement. We try to bring some clarity on why you're actually here and what you're doing. Because getting free of porn is sort of the blanket statement, but there's way more to it. And then the vision is trying to craft an incentive, if you will, of here's the life that I'm going to live when I get free of porn. And, uh, you know, men are visual. It's what gets us into our problems in the first place sometimes in this area. But it yeah. can also be the thing that gets us out. And, and being able to visualize the life that God's called you to lead and some of the specifics uh, can be a really powerful way to move guys through the course and through the program because it's, it's an up and down journey. And these kinds of things keep people uh, motivated and incentivized along the way. Okay, that's really good. And I did read that in the book. I just didn't link them together. I read the book very fast. You know, no 260, 269 pages, <laughs> and long, I'm ru yeah. I'm running through this bad boy because I had two books to read for this these two podcasts this week. And so, 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 bookend number one is why I want recovery. Yes, and I, I want to ask you a question about that because there's something I've seen with guys who are struggling with pornography that manifested through an addiction, losing a job, adultery. So I'm going to ask you a question in a second. So, bookend number one is why do I want to recover? a statement there book in number two is a life vision or in other words what i want my life to look like at the end exactly okay so here's my here's my dilemma and i and i want you to talk me through this i see guys all the time their life is falling apart they've lost their wife they've she's taken the kids their integrity's ruined they have a horrible name in their community and so we are so problem driven as men so task driven yeah. We want to go and conquer that addiction and win back the wife and win back the kids and get the job back and get a reputation in the community. The problem I've seen, and I want you to speak to this, the problem I've seen with a lot of guys who are going through recovery is they think they can do that in one year, two year. You know, they put a time period on it. Well, we know from studies it's three to five years to ever get a healthy marriage again. That's a long process, which you talk about later in your book. Yeah. But what would you say to the guy who's two or three years into this and his wife, things still aren't the same, and he's he's so focused on solving this problem that he's getting frustrated with the, the time period not syncing up with his. That, that makes sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. And it, it plays nicely into the principles we're going to talk about later. But I would say, like, so I actually got asked this question recently. It's a little bit different, but it's the same concept. Uh, one of one of our guys, um, I think the last time he watched was April, and he's been in our our course for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half now. So he's he's had some really powerful results. He's he's feeling the the change in his heart and the identity shift that's taking place. And he said, "Now what?" And I said, "Actually, the thing you should be doing right now is going back to your vision board 
uh, looking at what's taken place so far and asking yourself, what else is still like, what other areas do I still need to work on? What work still needs to be done? And to the guy who's been working at this for a little bit and you don't have that end goal yet, that's okay. That's part of it. But what I would encourage you to do is look back and say, what has happened though? What, mm -hmm. what, what has changed in those two or three years? And let that be the basis of how you analyze your progress. Because sometimes men get very binary in their thinking. It's like either I'm there or I'm not, and yep. I'm not there, so I'm a failure. But in reality, um, and again, a huge part of the recovery process, you celebrate the small victories. And so we have to try to identify what are the things that are working really well in your life? Let's not lose sight of those. And usually once you start to see that, suddenly the gap doesn't feel that small or that big rather between where you are and where you're trying to go. So that would be my biggest encouragement is I guarantee if you've been doing some of the things right in the last two or three years, you have made progress, celebrate it and realize that if you can make that kind of progress those last two or three years, who knows what could happen in the next two or three. So Stephen Covey fam was famously known as saying, see the end of the beginning. Yes. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Nine Things You Simply Must Do, where he talked about play the movie. So when you talk about your vision board, I'm seeing a guy who's going, okay, when I'm looking at this my life, I'm going to see the end at the beginning. Is your vision board a timeline? What What is the vision board? That's not, I don't know if I read that in the book. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I, I don't know if we really got granular on it, but it's really just one page. Um, okay. And it's almost like a collage. It's kind of got pictures of the elements of your life that you kind of envision will be there when you get free of porn. That's, that's more or less what the vision board. Okay. Is. No, that's really good. I'm glad I asked the question. So you talk about this why question. So you know, why recover, you know, what's my why in, you know, 50, 60 years, my life vision. So you do have a really cool criteria for that. Do you mm -hmm. want me to tell you what those are and, and ask you to speak to them? Yeah. Give me the prompt. Yeah. 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 Sorry, man. So the I wrote first, the manuscript no, 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 a year no. ago. So no, yeah, I no, this is, I wouldn't know either. This is why I'm at telling you. So you, <laughs> you give five things. I'm just going to read them and I'm just going to give you, just give me one sentence to respond. Okay. The first criteria for what my why is number one, is it personal? Yeah, it's, it's got to be something that speaks to your individuality. You're not trying to impress other people with it. It doesn't matter if it makes zero sense to them, as long as it makes sense to you. Yes, perfect. Number two, is it identity oriented? So it should be uh, to be blank. So it's not to have something. It's not to get something. It's not to do something. It's to be something. Ah, that's really good. I'm glad I asked. Number three, is it compelling? It's got to it's gotta motivate you. It's got to speak to you. To, to be... Uh, to be a cool guy, not that compelling. To be a, a godly father, um, that's that's going to hit home. That's gonna, that's going to drive you know. To to be a leader of my family, so make sure it really moves your heart. Wait, you mean I have to delete that part to be cool? So, I have yeah, to delete. Sorry, that? man. We'll we'll do a little session afterwards. Oh, I'll help you. Man, work on I'm, it. I you know I got to tell my barber to stop cutting my hair that way. Then okay. <laughs> so number number four, can it be said in a sentence? Yeah, plain and simple. Don't make it long. Uh, it's the kiss, uh, the kiss anagram It's keep it simple, stupid, just nice and simple. One simple line. I love it. Number five. Could you stay true to it during a painful or difficult season? Yeah. And that is really the culmination of the previous four questions, but your why you you only believe your why statement as well as you can express it when times are tough. So trial trials reveal things in us way better than, than a victory ever could. And you want to make sure you find a why statement that you're willing to stick to even when times are difficult. Man, I was just reading in the Bible this morning in uh, Obadiah, maybe, or it was maybe it was a psalm. It said, you know, we want God's gold that has been refined in the fire. 
Yeah. You know, we all want the gold, baby, but we don't want to go through the fire, right? So that's what I'm hearing here. So that's really good, man. Okay, so let's talk about principle stack, principle number four. Now, this one hurt a little bit. This one, guys, I'm telling you, this one's going to hurt a little. If if it weren't for principle number four, I would have a six-pack, and I'd be able to run a marathon. (laughs) So principle number four, you know, this one is tough. Speak to the guys about delayed gratification. This is the premise of all sexual struggle, isn't it? It's it yes. is that we want the result or we want the reward and we want it now. Uh, it's really, really hard. And it's getting harder because everything in our lives, Jim, is built for convenience, right? Yes. Like it's, it's literally the, the end byproduct of any technological advancement is that our lives become more convenient. So we're getting wired to get what we want when we want it. And it, it's a huge problem. So the, the guys who can really learn to delay gratification, they will have the most success in their lives, whether it's relationships, career, money, or anything else. And, uh, and it's a huge part of recovering um, from porn addiction or anything like that. But again, the, the reason you, you need something compelling to delay your gratification, that's why the vision part is really important. Because it's going to remind you in those moments when you are tempted or where you are vulnerable. Oh, yeah, this is why in this moment I can convince myself, oh, it's just one more time. It doesn't really matter. Whatever, whatever. We'll, we'll do everything we can to try to get that instant gratification. But when you have the big picture in mind, when you have a compelling why, all, all those kinds of things are meant to assist you so that you do delay gratification and you get your end result later. And anybody who can live that way is going to have a much healthier life. So, really, if I go back to principle stack, I'm saying principle stack. I know they're just principles, but I want the guys to get this visual of a stack. If I go back yeah. to principle stack number three with these with this life vision. So if mm-hmm. I'm if I've got this vision board, I've got I'm seeing this end game and I'm seeing steps. Yeah. When I'm thinking about delayed gratification, I've got to have I, I, to me this it makes sense that a guy has goals attached here. Yes. That, right. So like for example. I have a goal in 2022 of doing 65,000 pushups. That is 250 a day, five days a week. Now I have a friend who did it six days a week, 200. And I thought, you know, I know my life. I could never do it. I, mm. I need to grind it out during the week. So wow. I have goals. And so, so I have, I work to that end in 2022. Again, this hasn't happened yet. This is what's going to happen. I work to that goal, but I have to delay some things. Right. I, that, I've got to, I've got to see that 65,000 number and that's a lot of work to get <laughs> yeah. to that. And that's what, and that's what these guys need to understand. You know, we talked earlier in the podcast about cohabitation, cohabitation for a Christian man is nothing more than a guy who can't delay what God has already promised. Yes. And and so because of that, you know, I, we tell guys speak to this statement. We always tell guys this, and I think this plays into delayed gratification, make decisions against yourself. Oh, I love that because I think the recovery journey really is the war. It's a, it's a battle against yourself, right? And it's learning to create that gap. Totally agree. Let, let me use a granular example to kind of bring this home. Let's say that getting free of porn for you means that you get your marriage back. So the, the end goal is kind of to have your marriage intact. In the, if, I, if I were to ask you, when you wake up in the morning, like let's say we have an early conversation, like it's 7 o'clock a.m., you just woke up. And I said, hey, today, would you like to choose getting your marriage back on track or would you like to watch porn? Well, every like that guy is going to say, 
I would like to get my marriage back. It's the obvious choice and like it's a no-brainer. But what happens is in the in the heat of a moment, we suddenly lose sight of the of the decision that we're making. Yes. Yep. We don't realize that by saying, oh, it's just one more, we're actually choosing against that marriage that we want back. So the, the whole concept of delayed gratification is trying to be con- conscious as regular as, the, as you possibly can of your goals and of the places you're trying to get. And the example you gave is great, Jim. If you can break it down into smaller goals and into more intermittent sort of checkpoints, it makes it a lot more attainable. Because to that guy who's maybe done two or three years of work and he's still not where he wants to be, it can feel really out of reach. But if you can identify some of the checkpoints along the way, which obviously is, is part of our process and what we're doing, um, suddenly it becomes a lot more attainable and a lot easier to delay gratification in those moments. So, Sathya, would you say this is where we hear in the uh, recovery community the phrase, one day at a time? 100%. You do have to go one day at a time. And it's it's so funny because we tend to beat ourselves up. We're so hard on ourselves for one little mistake in the past and we feel like it throws off our whole like, oh, I just took two steps back and all the, all that kind of stuff. Yet when we make the slightest step forward, we're really hesitant to give ourselves any credit or any glory. So going one day at a time is meant to sort of um, mitigate both of those dynamics. You just, you take it one day at a time. If yesterday was bad, hey, it's a new day. You're good to go. And if you've been clean for three months or three years, then it's another new day and, and you get to keep the momentum going. So absolutely. Yeah, that which leads to principle stack, principle number five. You know, if as I'm going one day at a time, as I'm delaying gratification, as I am making decisions against myself. Now, I want to stop here, Sathya, and say this. I, I know that you're dealing specifically in the book with porn addiction, but people are calling you and they're coming to uh, Deep Clean for other addictions, correct? Yeah. It's not yeah. just porn. I want to be yeah. clear because I, I want to be clear because there are guys out there that are, you know, you know, 350 pounders but they're not addicted to porn. I'm like, dude, you aren't able to, you have no freedom to choose when it comes to food. Yeah. That, so I want to be careful here to, for our guys to realize this is not just about lust and pornography. So principle five is really encouraging to me in your principle stack. So this is the top of the pyramid, right? And and this is so important. And you actually, when I read this, I thought, oh, Dave Ramsey. And then you started writing about Dave Ramsey. I went, oh, yeah, we're thinking the same thing. So let's talk about principle five, which is encouraging these guys with consistency, this con- compounding impact of consistency. It's really hard early on to see that the work you're doing is actually making a difference. Really, really tough. And the whole basis of consistency compounding is that eventually you not only start to see the fruits of it, but that the, re- the results start to become exponential. So it, it takes work to get that snowball rolling. That's the Dave Ramsey thing too, the debt snowball. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's all the same idea. But what happens after a while is you get this compounding effect. And so with the guys, you know, using that guy who's been free since April as the example, he, he starts to make some pretty radical changes to his morning routine um, and his nighttime routine. He started having more open dialogue with his partner. He was doing a bunch of things uh, very differently and it was really painful at first. He hated it. Um, he and his, his wife were having disagreements. There was all kinds of stuff going on. But with time, uh, it eventually started to become a little bit easier, a lot more normal. And now some of those things that were really challenging initially are second nature. And he's getting the fruits of it. He's making better decisions. 
He has a clear mind and he has a healthier relationship with his partner. They actually just had their first, um, their first child. And I said, wife, I, I actually don't believe they're married. Um, I do want to correct that part of it. Um, so they've obviously made some different lifestyle choices. They did just have their first kid, but, um, but on the porn front, he, uh, he's experienced incredible results because of that compounding effect of being consistent. And that's really only over 18 months. So as that continues, he's going to see more and more and more of it. Well, you said something I want to go back and tackle. And this is what's important for guys. At first, this is really, really hard. Anything. Yeah. Like, the, I have a friend of mine who did, Rod Handley. He's got a cool organization called Character That Counts. He was a stage four cancer survivor with a cancer. I remember, can't remember the name of it, but they call it the 24-hour killer. Hmm. So he went in for a gallstone issue. They said, oh, man, you're filled with this cancer. If we didn't, if you didn't have a gallstone, you'd be dead by tomorrow. I mean, so this would be a great movie, right? Wow. So he gets, they remove the cancer and he's weak and he's super weak. He was a college football player. He decided I'm going to do 65,000 pushups next year. So he inspired me, right? Wow. So he, the first day he goes to do a pushup, he can't do a single pushup. He can't do oh, one. Man. So he does a modified. Well, then it gets better and better and better. Now he's rocking out. I was out there speaking in Missouri, in his uh, at Kansas City, Missouri, where he lives, and he goes, "Hey, I got to do my push-ups." He went in the back room, and in five minutes, he came out. He was done. He did them all, <laughs> two hundred, boom, bay, bay, bay. So there is Jeez. this camp compounding effect. So speak to us about this phrase you said earlier: second nature. Early on, it's really hard. Like it, it, it is really hard. Like you're saying, but if you do it consistently, and that really is the key. It's not just that you do it sometimes. Like your guy couldn't be doing pushups when he feels like it. He can't just do it every now and then. It's just that you're finding things you're going to do day in and day out. They start to become second nature. As in you don't think about it. It's no longer costing you that mental energy to get over it. To like, you're not counting down. When is this going to end? Whatever the exercise may be, you're just doing it. And it, it becomes a normal part of your life. And that's when you really start to feel the compounding effects. And you start seeing the end of that vision board, right? Exactly. So, Everything yes. suddenly is way closer now. So this is really good, guys. I, I, I love this principle stack, man. So principle one, control, dealing with micro, macro behaviors. Principle two, responsibility, uh, which is action, guys, and power. Principle three is these freedom bookends. Remember, guys, that's why do you want to recover? And the second bookend is developing a life vision with your vision board. Bookend number four or principle number four is delayed gratification. Principle number five is consistency that compounds. So when I read through your book, uh, Sathya, you have a lot of sayings in the book that I thought were really good, and I have never heard them before. And so I want to take the last 15 or 20 minutes of this interview, and I flipped flipped the interview structure on you. I've never done this before, but I want to throw you into our rapid-fire round. Okay. All right, you're a young guy with a sharp mind. I think you can do this. So are you All ready? Right. Are you I'm ready? ready? I'm okay. ready. I think so. <laughs> okay, Sathya, I'm going to throw uh, several phrases right out of your book at you, and I want you to explain in 30 seconds-ish what these mean for a guy who's working through the recovery process. Ready? Okay. Yep, let's go. All right, the first one is explanation versus excuse. All right. This is in the context of responsibility and the difference between a man who can actually recover and make a difference in his life is whether or not he makes excuses or explanations for his behavior. An excuse pardons responsibility, deflects it elsewhere. An explanation helps you understand what's going on and ultimately leaves you still responsible. And what we want to do as men recovering, 
We want to take responsibility as much as we possibly can. And we want to never settle for an excuse. We always want to explain our behavior. Which goes back to principle stack number two. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the next one, and I, I really resonated with this one. Years ago, my wife and I got in a fight and she called me rela- relationally disabled. And so <laughs> she didn't actually say those exact words, but I'm going to be PC here. Yeah. And uh, I, I began to work on that. And so can you speak to us about emotional fitness? There's a difference between health and fitness. That's the whole premise here. You can, you can eat your leafy greens and avoid junk food and that makes you healthy. It doesn't make you fit. To get fit, you actually have to condition yourself. You actually have to work against some resistance. And in the emotional arena, it's the exact same thing. You can be emotionally healthy. Everyone talks about emotional intelligence. That's great. But, but a true man is emotionally fit, as in he is able to respond in conditions, curveballs, whatever it is that comes his way, he still maintains his emotional health. He can make a really good decision. So that's, that's sort of the goal when a guy is trying to experience this inside-out transformation. Man, there's your second book, buddy. Yeah, yeah. That would be a great book. Anyway, but that's maybe I'll beat you to it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so the next one is validation cycle. So this is a big one for guys. A lot of guys learn to stuff and suppress their emotions, and it eventually leaves them bitter, resentful, and disconnected in their relationships. So the validation cycle is basically teaching a process of how to actually work through your emotions, and it's simply acknowledging them, allowing them to process, or I use the word digest, being able to then express them and articulate them. And ultimately that's going to lead you to a place of validation. And if you practice this cycle on a regular basis, it leaves you emotionally vibrant, healthy, and connected in your relationships. Well, and I'll tell you what, man, as men, we are almost addicted to validation. We deeply, deeply desire it. Uh, It's a, it's a Bill Harley in his book, his needs, her needs. It's a massive need of a, of a man in a marriage context uh, many of these guys who have the father wound, it goes back to a lack of validation. Yes. It, it really, really is a, a, an important, important thing for us guys. The the fourth uh, word in our rapid fire round is, and I love this phrase, triple threat. That's a basketball term, triple yeah. threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, the triple threat is basically three killers of guys' emotional health and things that really surface when you start to dig into why they struggle with pornography or any kind of sexual misbehavior. And it's, guilt, shame, and regret. So guilt is when you feel bad about what you've done. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. And regret is when you look at your past without compassion. And those three collectively just wreak havoc on our lives. So we help guys work through them to get free in the long term. Well, in your book, I thought it was really cool. Guilt and shame are big buzzwords today. But when you added regret, I stopped and really, really listened because uh, that was th- that you attached that one to the triple threat. I think that made uh, your book different from other things I read. There oh, cool. is a regret attached to it. So I really did appreciate that personally. And then one I really loved being a, uh, I remember a story. I remember a time when I was playing a football game and our coach made a stare in the mirror until, until we were able to tell ourselves we're ready to play football. So <laughs> when I read this next phrase, I went, oh man, I remember that mirror therapy. Yeah, so uh, Proverbs, I believe it's the book of Proverbs that says that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And the idea is, you know, usually we act out um, with our sexual misbehavior because of a place of deficiency or brokenness within our souls. And there's something about standing in front of a mirror, looking at yourself square in the eyes and speaking the truth that has an impact on your soul. Nothing else does. 
And for me, when I was struggling with pornography and trying to get free, I actually made a habit out of, after I would, would slip, you know, after I kind of finished, I would get in front of the mirror as quickly as possible. And I would just say, look, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to figure this thing out. You're going to get free. You're, you're a better man than this. You, you got this, you know, and it, what it did is it curbed my thoughts and it actually dissipated some of the guilt and some of the shame that would often come up after I had made a mistake. So mirror therapy is a, a really big one and a, you know, a really good way for a guy to, to keep himself encouraged along the way. So you would actually talk to yourself in the mirror. Hundred percent. I would look at myself in the mirror. There's that scripture in First uh, Samuel 30 where it talks about how David strengthened himself in the Lord. Such a funny, funny statement that you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And and to me, I I imagine it to be that way that he was reminding himself of the things God had spoken to him, the truths that he knew deep in his heart they were of the Lord, but he was strengthening himself with them. And so that's again that plays back into that ownership part. Like after a mistake, what what can you do? It's or, it's already done. But you can take control of the moment. You can speak some life and some truth over yourself. And it really does go a long way in the long run. No, that's really good, man. I really do appreciate that. So I, I might have to implement that in my life. And and uh, next time you see me, I'll be like really, really skinny. So yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, so thought, belief, continuum. Okay, this is basically when we start getting to the beliefs, what people believe about themselves and how they're driving their behavior. We're trying to ultimately identify the lies, uproot them, and then replace them with the truth. And one of the ways you identify some of these beliefs is through this continuum. And it's the idea that we have a thousand thoughts a day, but the ones that really stick are the things that we actually believe. Mm. And the difference between a thought and a belief is the measure of faith attached. So the thoughts that don't stick, they don't have much faith to them. But as you move along the continuum and faith increases, it's a thought that you believe more and more and more. Then it actually starts to cement itself and solidify itself as a belief in your belief system. So the continuum is meant to just explain how an innocent thought, you know, somebody just says a statement about you, like, uh, why'd you do that? You're so weird. You're so weird just is this thought. But as you start to reinforce it, you start to think on it, um, all those kinds of things solidify it. You start to have more faith in it. And eventually you start to believe I am a weird person. So it's just mm. meant to explain that dynamic. So how does that relate to the next phrase, belief magnetism? Belief magnetism is the other side of it. So when you have a belief, it starts to dictate the kinds of thoughts that actually stick. If you think that you're a pervert because you just, you're so messed up and you've struggled with pornography for so long and you just think I'm this horrible mess, then if somebody speaks the truth about you, like, hey, you are actually like, you are this amazing man of God, that thought will not stick. It, mm. it, there's no magnetism there because you believe that you're a pervert. You believe you're messed up. You believe, how could God ever love me? So the, the idea there of belief magnetism is that we're, we're trying to shape our beliefs to align with the truth about what God speaks mm. about us so that when truth is spoken to us, whether it's from God himself directly, whether it's through scripture or through other people around us, it actually, we actually believe it and it actually sticks around. Okay, so now I've got this belief that's negative and it's embedded. The next word deals with how to get rid of that and you call this word uprooting yeah so the idea is that the damaging beliefs are like roots of a plant and a lot of people try to fix their porn problems by just running over the plant instead of actually uprooting it you know if you wanted mm. to get rid of a weed in your garden you would put on some gloves and you would actually pull the thing out you wouldn't just chop over it with your lawnmower so the process of uprooting is actually being able to identify the lies seeing those sort of toxic roots for what they are um, being able to understand how they got there, doing any forgiveness around it, um, any, any hard work that might be necessary, some repentance for believing it, 
uh, all that kind of stuff. And then basically uprooting it, de dealing away with it, being done with it. That usually is the act of repentance. And then in that process, you now have real estate in your mind and in your heart that is available to plant the truth, the truth of what God says about you and who you are. Yeah, that's really good, man. I appreciate that. I, I think that's so important. The, the last phrase that I thought was really cool, and you saved it kind of to the end, was three-dimensional humanity. The idea here is that there's three realms that we exist in. One is the internal. That's what we've been talking about for most of the podcast. The external, which is your behavior, and the eternal, which is our spiritual reality. Yeah. And our goal is to really become healthy and masterful in all three of these arenas. We want to have control over our thoughts, over our emotions. If we can take care of things at a really fundamental internal level, our external lives, our behavior will start to manifest that, the decisions we make, the relationships we have. And of course, all of these are part of a bigger picture, an eternal picture. And we want to always keep that in mind. Eternity is meant to be the cornerstone of all behavior and all thinking. We always want to bear in mind eternity here. And, um, and when we're conscious of all three realms collectively, that's usually when we're the most effective. Yeah, that's so powerful, man. You know, one thing we haven't addressed in this whole interview, we've kind of skated around it. And I want to end with this question. And this isn't a rapid fire round. I just want to have you talk our listeners through this last question. What is the powerful role of forgiveness in your process, in your system? As we go through this five-tier principle stack, where would you put forgiveness? And why is it so vital in someone uh, finding um, health and redemption? Yeah. So, Jim, you and I are teachers, right? Like, we love teaching. And generally, when you introduce a framework um, to, to a group of people, you always usually find the thing that you know is going to be the most important to them, and you double down on it. Yeah. So in Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? And he says, he, he lays it all out for them, and it covers, it covers all the bases, if you will. And verses 14 to 16, right after he gives the Lord's Prayer, he then spends two verses, sorry, it's verse 15 and 16, actually. He talks about forgiveness. And he basically says, you must forgive. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. To yep. me, that's really interesting. Of all the things he could have emphasized, he chose to emphasize forgiveness. So that tells us it's really important. But a lot of guys in their journey to sexual health and integrity are not able to forgive themselves or forgive the people that have caused wounding and pain in the past. And one of the biggest reasons people turn to pornography is because of pain. It's because they have parts of their past that they're trying to medicate and trying to numb. So forgiveness is such a crucial part because if you can forgive people for those moments and forgive yourself for your mistakes, um, you actually have a really good shot at a clean slate to receive yep. the forgiveness of God for starters, but, but two, to just be rid of those parts of your past and to actually move forward with your life. And that, that is really the ultimate goal of recovery. And uh, one of the things that I do want to emphasize, so we kind of teach a four-step process for forgiveness. You identify, specify, release, and restore. We, we can't go through all of it right now, but I do want to um, really emphasize the part about specifying because I think it's really easy to say, uh, yeah, okay, I forgive myself for looking at porn. Okay, perfect, and move on. But um, forgiveness is actually relieving a debt. And if you don't name the debt, if you don't know the amount of debt, you cannot actually properly clear it or properly forgive it. The same way that if you get a credit card bill, but you don't open it up and you don't know how much money you owe, all you can do is throw some money at that account and hope that it covers everything. But as soon as you get some clarity on the actual damage that was done, the actual pain points, the actual wrongdoings that took place, the, the clearer you can get on it, 
the more effective and the more powerful the process of forgiveness is and the more free you're going to feel in your heart as a result. So it's, it's a really critical part. It's often the turning point for our guys when they go through our program. Yeah, that is, it, it almost deserves its own podcast. And mm-hmm. as I was thinking about what you said just now, it hit me, you know, Leonard Smeads once said, to forgive is to set a captive free, only to realize that captive was you. Yes. And as, as I talk to guys, one of the biggest bondages they have isn't pornography. It's actually unforgiveness. Yeah. And, as we un- and I, I always, you know, when I read Matthew 6, 14 or 15 or whatever it is, you know, for Jesus to say, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. That is, that is pretty legalistic for Jesus. When you, when you listen <laughs> yeah. to Jesus teaching, you read that and you're like, man, that is like gnarly there. That's gnarly, yeah. but it's so important. And, and I, I tell guys, go read Luke chapter six verses 27 to 37. And that person that you are holding bitterness and that forgiveness to, they own you. Yeah, they own you and you have to get free from that. And the only way to get free from that is to forgive them. And so Jesus lays out a recipe there. Maybe we'll get you back on the show and have you talk about that. That that would be a a real powerful episode. So, hey, we are out of time, but I I do want to ask you this question, man. How can our guys follow you on social media? And then how do they pick this book up on February 2nd? The book is called The Last Relapse. Yeah, so the book's available on all major platforms, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Noble, iBooks, all that stuff. I'm Sathya Sam on Instagram, um, so you can follow me there. We'll be posting a little bit more, especially uh, closer to the book launch. And uh, for you guys, if they do want to get a head start and, and read some other material, we do have a free ebook called uh, The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. You can get that at ultimaterecoveryguide.com. And it's just kind of got my best five practices for guys who, uh, you know, who want to take some steps and um, really start walking out in sexual integrity. So it's ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Okay. So the guys watching this program are going, okay, cool. The guys listening are like, how do you spell that name? Can you tell us how, (laughs) if I'm going to search Instagram or Facebook, what am I going to search? Spell Sathya. Okay. It's S-A-T-H-I-Y-A. My handle is Sathya, S-A-T-H-I-Y-A-M-E. Sam, S-A-M. So if you if you get the first name, the rest should show up. Okay, perfect. Hey, man, <laughs> I sure appreciate you coming on the show. Say, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom in this book and all that you're doing for guys. And guys, uh, just to let you know, we're going to take this principle stack, these five principles of the principle stack. We'll put them into a blog that will be released the same week that this podcast is released. And you can, can subscribe to that at Men in the Arena. Dot org, but let's get our boots on the ground. What are you going to do in the meantime to move forward? We've already pointed you to Sathya's resources. We've already pointed you to his uh, to follow him and his book title. But here's what I want you to do, guys. You know that we're Covenant Eyes affiliates. I want you, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to protect your all your smart devices from you. I believe that a smartphone that is unprotected belongs to a man is not so smart. So that is your assignment, guys. Get those phones protected, grab Sathya's resources, and move towards your personal freedom, that freedom that you see in that life ahead of you through your vision. So guys, thanks for listening to this episode, guys. Don't forget to pick up a free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters at menintherena.org. And no matter where you live, sign up to join one of our many virtual teams that help you to become your best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. 
and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.